0: This you just don't get, huh? Lord, let me know if you got us We're preaching about prophets. And ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to a
1: goddess. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. And ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to the goddess.
2: goddess. Got it. Goddess. Got it. Hello and welcome to The Strong Women. Power Half Hour, your podcast to help support, encourage, and empower you. I'm your host and women's empowerment specialist, Kelly Hickey, and I am so glad you're here with us today. Uh, make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It helps other women find us, and you can always find us, of course, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it's the Str- Strong Women Co. Just give that a search. And have you signed up for the Strong Women Co. tribe yet? if not what are you waiting for it's totally free it's full of smart supportive women all helping one another on the journey uh, through womanhood uh i spoke about it more in the last pod check that out if you haven't checked it out right already it's on sisterhood and uh, i'm even more in love with the tribe now um i did special videos last week on uh the full moon and videos on just like life tips and there's a, just a lot of sharing and helping going on so look us up uh, and uh, request to join And today we have a special podcast and radio show because we have a very special guest. Uh, We have Karen Parsons. She is a social worker in the Bay Area in California. And Karen is actually uh, a really old friend of mine. And when we were talking there a few weeks ago about her work and my work, um, we started to see the similarities in our work uh, and kind of a a universe universality of it uh so i'm I'm excited to share that conversation with you uh, on empowerment but first let's do what we always do to start this show off let's take our collective breath let's slow down our bodies slow down our thoughts gather our whole selves up all those little pieces and we take a nice inhale through the nose And then exhale through the mouth. <sighs> Takes just a little breath to change everything, doesn't it? All right, let's get into the show. Dun, 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 dun. So, uh, so excited to have you here today, Karen Parsons, uh, my friend from um, University Days, and uh, I'm so excited for all of our listeners to uh, meet you and hear about your experiences and your thoughts. So, Karen, big, huge, strong women, power half hour, welcome. Um, Please share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became the woman you are today.
0: Sure. I was raised in the Ghouls, Newfoundland, and I left around the age of 12 and moved around quite a bit, and eventually sort of made my way to California. One thing about growing up in the Ghouls, of course, is uh, it's a very small community. Everybody knows each other, so you always kind of know how to be and act, and so I think that really sort of made me shift a little into, like, this quiet observer. Like, you know, I often enter, like, new situations, kind of look around, take things in, and try to figure out at least a little, like, how I'm supposed to be or what's going on before I do or say much else.
2: Hmm, yes, um, you are a data gatherer. <laughs> uh, I'm also one of those. Uh, I might be a little less quiet than you are, but I do also like to get to get to gather that uh, data. Also, I think it just speaks to you being super smart. Uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, you were in the goals And then um, what else can you tell us?
0: So actually, and then I came back to Newfoundland to go to university, and I think one of the most important experiences I had here was, which was completely sort of like, by accident kind of ended up, you know, at the WRC. Pause.
2: WRC means Women's Resource Centre. It's the student-led, student-run Women's Resource Centre at our university.
0: After the advice of um, the Student Volunteer Bureau and looking just, you know, sort of to add something to my resume and I didn't really know what and I had no direction or no real sense of what I was going to do after university either. Like many of us, you <laughs> know.
2: Which is, yeah,
0: how you should be when you're, like, 20. Yeah. Completely but fine, but, by the way. But you don't
2: think that's how you're supposed to be at 20.
0: No, because you're being, yeah. you know... T- told otherwise. Otherwise. Like, yeah. hey, hey, you, you better go plan the rest of your life yeah. right now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so one of the... Um, I think one of the best things about being at the WRC is there was so much opportunity to, to learn and plan and organize with other young women. And also... To work in collaboration with so many community and campus partners, like looking back and it's kind of sad to think like, oh, like the bar of how we would have been treated was low, but we actually were like really respected and included in so many opportunities here with you know organizations like Planned Parenthood and the Saint John's Women Council, and so I think that really did inform like a you know my um or like the feminist I am today, I guess, or how I got there. I later returned to California, like so many people leaving Newfoundland looking for work. And just same sort of like theme of like, I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going and applied for tons of jobs and ended up working in an inpatient mental health facility where there I was encouraged to pursue clinical social work, which I did at San Jose State University. And now I work with youth in addictions and co-occurring mental health disorders in Santa Clara County, which unlike most places in the United States, has its own little universal healthcare system with a county hospital and clinics and includes behavioral health services for anyone who has no no other access to healthcare. Very,
2: very cool. Um, I'm impressed how you've done that so succinctly, um, that super interesting life. And uh, when you talked about um, having opportunity to plan, organize, and collaborate. Um, uh, with community proper, and where community partners took us seriously when we were at the women's resource center um, so that was a resource center for women ran by students at our university memorial university and I would totally agree um, uh, the different things that I was able to do um Uh, the different opportunities, the different committees I sat on, the different, you know, and and it allowed us as a group to have the audacity to think that we could do things and we could matter. Uh, Just even thinking about, um, uh, oh, my goodness, the planner exchange. Do you want to talk about the planner exchange? Right.
0: So the, I believe it was the student... Newspaper. Newspaper had sold an ad on the back of the student planner that was given out to everyone, and it was... an ad encouraging to come see a live sex show
2: yeah it was uh, Tag Team Tuesdays Tag Team Tuesdays Uh, at the uh, it wasn't even the classy strip club of the city it was the non-classy strip club of the city where yeah I believe um there was a sex act on the uh, on the back of this planner. There was a se- not a sex act, but it was the description of a sex act and an advertis- a- a- advertisement to go to uh, a sex act. Um, and uh, the I guess just kind of like the shock of all of us that the student newspaper would think this was okay. <laughs> and and I do believe there was a sil- silhouette of a woman and a pole, and like it was it was it was so over the top that if we didn't say or do something, it would have been like irresponsible.
0: Right. And I remember the Canadian Federation of Students helped get us different planners and we set up a table in the university center. And people did. People came and swapped their
2: planners. Yeah. Once they realized, okay, there's another planner I can have, the Canadian Federation of Students, that was a free planner. So we got free planners so people could trade in so they wouldn't have this... Uh, I don't know. I guess my my problem with it, because I think we're uh, sometimes hung up on sexuality in our society, but it was a real objectification of women um, when I'm just trying to study right you know what i mean i'm just trying to get my class like what why why are we so why is this okay and but yes uh and we actually got a lot of media and everything from that that was a that was a good bit of fun we also um uh in in large part due to you started doing the vagina monologues here at this university um so we had the the um empowered thought or enough sense of ourselves to be able to do that and we actually even reached out and changed the city and the city put up our our flag and sky's the limit we uh because of the things i learned so i guess my personal advice to folks is um if you don't really have a direction sometimes just going out and volunteering you just don't know what skills you're going to pick up but then also uh who you're going to meet and then also what interests you're going to be able to um add to and and um, make more comprehensive and and complex too
0: right and the opportunity to support one another yeah because my one of my favorite memories of the vagina monologues was when someone took a call and somebody wanted to know when it was. Yeah. And myself and another volunteer wandered over to the medical school, looking yeah, around yeah. like, we'll, we'll find this out for you. Yeah. Somebody called our center, so we'll get an answer. And then it went from, Oh, sorry, those med students graduated. So they're yeah. not doing it to in the very, by the end of the day, we had registered ourselves as, yeah. <laughs> as and-
2: an organizing site for the, vagina monologues yeah it was amazing Um, thank you for all those beautiful experiences uh, and bringing those up that was a whole lot of fun so we've been friends for a long time Uh, we first met at the women's resource center here at MUN as we mentioned we were um, young budding feminists hungry for info action and uh, I think we were also hungry for a tribe looking back on us then uh, the work that both of us do that is similar but different but the work that we each do makes sense to me how about you?
0: It absolutely does. A large portion of the work I do now involves advocating, and so when I look back and think about all the problem-solving, figuring out how to make things work with very limited resources, mm-hmm. very limited money, there's a great, you know, parallel there with any type of social work.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and doing one's own business, I will tell you, you will learn to do things um, with very little money, <laughs> <laughs> as well. But definitely a skill I, uh, I learned that and um uh i, I think back to, on us too and we were we were very passionate about change uh we were very uh, passionate about being those agents of change and not being afraid of that and we were also passionate about um helping marginalized people have more power that was kind of like i think looking back at the core of like a lot of what we've done uh, or what we did back then um so what uh, That was us back then, um, and now you're talking about how you are a clinical uh, social worker um, in um, a county in California, and uh, specifically you work in uh, addiction and mental health in youth.
0: That's correct. That's correct, yeah. And I, my primary function is to provide direct service treatment, and then I'm also a clinical lead for my program, So, and that involves me doing a lot of um, system work, and policy procedure work, which tends to impact clients like quite a bit.
2: Yeah, very cool. What I was thinking um, last time we talked, and you talked about your what you do with clients and how that you you know through different talk therapy or introducing different ideas or perceptions, and how similar it was to me. So you're working with um, uh, youth um, um, at risk, youth often um, who are Latino uh, and often male. Correct. Right? And so, what I'm working with is um, women, um, and the social demographic isn't always, but is often um, white women of a certain kind of um, uh, uh, privilege. Um, so, what was, I found striking was. How similar our work had gotten and um, how similar things, how you had said things specifically to help um, and encourage and empower your clients and how similar it was to me because both groups, um, you know, women, um, often women in male-dominated fields, which is who I work with, um, and the sexism they face um, and the frustration and the, the systemicness of it and uh um, of that uh, is, is similar, but of course different, but it has a similar notion to the systemic racism um, and implicit negative bias against um, the youth that you're working with. Did it surprise you that our work would be so similar because when you look at it, you might not think it would be so similar?
0: That's a really good question, and I'll tell you why, because i it's sort of like a parallel to addiction work anyway, that there's like all these things on the surface and then there's the underneath. Ah. And so I think often what you see with addiction is that people are trying to cope, Mm. whether they're just trying to cope with something that's currently happening or something that's happened in the past that, you know, it's about, I think, locating like resiliency. And so I guess like surface, like, yeah, it sounds like that's two very different groups of people that have nothing in common. Yeah, yeah. And, but when you think about how really like I mean, humans are similar in every way, right? Yeah. And how much of how we deal with what's going on is related back to like our brain chemistry and how things are working that, you know, we create, we create things like economies and we create labels for people. And so I guess like when you really think about it, no, it's not the, really that surprising that it's such similar work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm exactly like you. I was kind of shocked by my own. like, of course, it's, it's super similar. Um, but um, when we were talking about, when you mentioned coping mechanisms, and um, that actually comes up quite a lot with my clients as well, um, uh, especially in the one-on-ones. And um, I ask people about their coping mechanisms and ask them to be honest. And, um, and I'm so thrilled when, you know, um, some of those quote-unquote bad coping mechanisms that come up um not that I think they're bad at all I think everything has its place and um um uh you talked about a harm reduction and, and that and and I'm I'm really there I'm I'm so not about crapping on women for doing what they have to to get by and I'm so about women um not being judgmental on themselves for the coping mechanism. So let's talk about it. So some of the coping mechanisms that are, are uh, relatively unhealthy that come up uh, with my clients are often, um, you know, emotional eating that could be overeating or not eating, um, uh, emotional spending, uh, shopping or, um, you know, alcohol or drugs or, or these type things. Um, I, the, in a, in a wheel of coping mechanisms, I just feel like they're just they're just some options, you know. Mm-hmm. And and where I try to get with my clients is okay, that that's your coping mechanism right now, and that makes total sense because you got this this and this and this to deal with. Um, and I, I think back to and this was a fundamental um, learning for me uh, when how I actually became to volunteer at the Women's Resource Center where we met was I was seeing a feminist counselor at the time um, who was a a counselor at our uh, university counseling center and it was a man um, and I was seeing him for because I had some uh, family crises and um, uh, my first love who had died so I had some issues I was I needed um, help with and uh, one of the coping mechanisms I had developed at the time in this extreme stress situation was um uh eating disorder where i ate very little every day and so i remember i went I, I went to see him and it was maybe two or three months before i let that cat out of the bag and it was that cat was the one that made me get my butt through the door because i knew i had this eating disorder i need, knew i needed help and uh, it was that feminist counselor who i told and then he was like um okay so that's what you're doing so that you can feel like you have control. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, you're not at a dangerous weight. Um, you're eating a little bit every day. I mean, sometimes it would just be a banana or something. And he was like, um, all right, we'll talk about this next week. Like it was not even a big deal. Uh, and I was just like, whoa, that's okay. This is just a coping mechanism. That And it allowed me... Um, to stop crapping on myself and to open up to forgiving myself for this very destructive anti-feminist coping mechanism that I had developed.
0: i really liked his response. And, you know, in the type of work I do, it's very, I guess, understandable for some people, like, well, you work with, you know, minors, and so everything's a big deal and it has to be fixed right away. And you're like, yep that that would be really excellent if we could wave a wand and fix someone's problems right away. but yeah. the truth is is that you know giving people the time and space they
2: need to change is an essential part of treatment
1: oh.
2: yeah essential part of treatment and I guess essential part of just trauma and recovery
0: right exactly
2: yeah yeah
0: the um one of the theories that I like the most, and I use the most of her work is somebody, uh, Judith Herman, she has a book called Trauma and Recovery. it was written more than 20 years ago. And one of her main points is looking at, you know, if somebody doesn't want to talk about their trauma, they're not ready to tell their story, that there's a lot of things that you can do that are present focused to help them increase mm. healthy coping skills. And when I just... When I have discussions with clients about healthy versus unhealthy coping skills, I always tell them, you know, what's my definition of that? And for me, it's about, okay, does your coping skill move you towards your goals, general wellness, keep you safe here on the earth, or does it not? And then I ask them, like, you what do you think? Does that make sense? Like, are we okay with that definition? Should we adjust it? Because if you can't even agree, on, mm. With your client about healthy versus unhealthy um you know people come in talking about like oh, it's good or it's bad or I did this, and you know good and bad is just so subjective yeah yeah right so it's so binary exactly more yeah. and there's really and there is there's a range you know there's there's times I've called you know ambulances for people and or I've you know moved somebody into a higher level of care because there might be you know they are more on like a dangerous side of use. Where their physical well-being is compromised, but generally speaking, we even though, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, like you work with kids and they use cocaine and they take pills, and it's like, well, yeah, but there's actually like a lot of work you can do to help increase their safety long before you have to really just like freak out and take all their power away and start making all their decisions for them.
2: Oh, I love that exactly. Yes, because if you were looking at it from kind of a traditional standpoint. Um, Uh, it would be about restricting their behavior um, and controlling it. But that we know is absolutely uh, not how to help anyone, let alone a youth who's at risk or a a youth who has increased risk of dangerous behavior or uh, a youth who um, has been exposed and has abused um, drugs and alcohol. Right. Yeah.
0: And there's almost always an underlying reason for for that use. I haven't really, I haven't met this, person yet who's like oh you know I experimented with drugs and then oh no like spiraled into drug use for no reason (laughs) everything was so wonderful before that first time I used drugs I just really I haven't like maybe that person is out there somewhere but I just that hasn't been my experience and what's more typical is that there is some type of history of trauma abuse serious neglect Um, and so I like to really focus with them or, or to make it simple and to talk about like how like what you're doing today, how you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, is affecting you like how versus why, yeah, and giving them that time to to tell their story if they choose to do that, and some don't some people you know they they go through treatment and they feel like you know i'm I'm coping better i'm doing better i I just don't really want to relive the past. I just want to yeah. move forward.
2: Yeah. Uh, and so this is the um, kind of very interesting reality that I've come to in the last uh, few years. Was When I went into university originally, I went in to be a psychologist. Um, I got my first degree in psychology. And um, specifically, I wanted to be a school psychologist. So almost exactly what you're doing in some ways. Um, but, um, and I did all this, you know, I did all my psychology courses. I got my degree and all of that. And uh, I had done counseling myself. And I thought that was the answer to a lot of things for a long time, and I still think it absolutely is um, a lot of answer, but a lot of um, uh, psychology and the psychodynamic theory kinds of things are just all so backward facing. And even, like, talking about your feelings right now, like, sure, that's helpful. Of course it is. But um, how does that help you get up tomorrow morning? How does that help you achieve those goals? How does that help you move towards a life where you're happy and full and, uh, you know, um, uh, feeling that you are in control? So this is kind of where my work changed from being... Uh, a, a or thinking that um, the healing work I could be was that kind of specific to counseling, where I still do counseling with a lot of my coaching work, but it is more coaching. It's it's about legitimizing how women feel right now, validating them, how, giving them some kind of outside perspective. Um, and it, or, or how I feel sometimes is like pulling up, showing up a mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like hey, this is this is what this is how you, you know uh, some kind of self-reflection. Um, and I uh, totally lost my thought then. Oh, counseling. Yes. And how so like have the kind of more modern psychology or coaching is giving people realistic tools and techniques that they can use moving forward to move towards their goals. And, you know, if their goal is to get out of the criminal justice system or their goal is uh, to get promoted um, to partner in their engineering firm or whatever it is, it's kind of like um, just sitting and talking about our feelings right now or even in the past um, isn 't necessarily helpful um or effective uh in helping people feel empowered right right
0: you well you know I worked with this woman years ago, um a social worker who was retiring and i 'll never forget what she told me she said you know you can 't talk people out of poverty mm. and that was definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to do social work and a really like a significant component of my work is doing case management services and even simple things you know that um you know policy hacks don't always necessarily realize that people need you know like you can't um you can't apply for a job like if you don't have transportation Mm. right or internet or internet Mm. or something to wear and so part of you know part of our treatment is providing services whether it's helping people connect with like and link with resources or just being that person yourself, like giving somebody, giving somebody a ride who you've been working with for a few months so they can do an interview. That's so a very, I, it comes back to that like sort of social work perspective of, um, like the whole person and the person in the environment. Very cool.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, so Karen, this has been a delight. Um, and, um, but as a as a thank you gift um, for coming on in, um, I want to give you one of our uh, goddess bracelets. <laughs> um, I know that you like the black uh, purple ones, so um, here you go. Um, and uh, thank you. you. You are very very welcome. Uh, these will be on the website. Um, Uh, in the next couple of weeks Uh, so i'll give a full lowdown on next podcast on that that they're available but just as a, a token of uh thank you uh for coming in sharing your ideas and just kind of like discussing the universality of empowerment and resilience and coping mechanisms and addictions and all of that I just I just help, it helps me to feel closer to others and it also helps me to feel that there are so many other people out there we, there's like a warrior uh, soldiers and warrior um military of us uh troops going out just trying to help and heal people uh to love themselves accept themselves and um not be so hard on themselves right and impairment of course is kind of a word that sums all that up wouldn't you agree absolutely yeah yeah so lovely talking about impairment and all that stuff with you today uh and next time you're back we'll definitely have you on again thanks kelly and now for our closing featured song um it is an awesome impairment song by beyonce it is flawless here's your clean version let's rock out you are flawless
1: to make themselves smaller we say to girls you can have ambition but not too much you should aim to be successful but not too successful otherwise you will threaten the man because i am female i'm expected to aspire to marriage i'm expected to make my life choices always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important a marriage can be a success Cost up, round roundin' round it, lostin' on that, Lollin'. with that money.